you've got music and you're going to create music and that's almost a given. But then how are you going to create value around that? Hey guys, what's going on? You are listening to Talking About the Passion. I'm Thomas Irwin, and this is a podcast where I interview different independent musicians and showcase their music. As for myself, I'm a singer, songwriter, and producer who goes by Niagara Moon. You can look up more about my own music at niagaramoonmusic.com. My guest for episode 36 is Joe Gilder. Originally from Mississippi and now based in Nashville, Tennessee, Joe is a professional singer, songwriter, guitarist, mixing engineer, podcaster, blogger, vlogger, and educator. Yes, he is as busy as that all sounds, which is why I feel so lucky and flattered that he made time to Skype with me for my podcast. Aside from putting out all his excellent original music and doing occasional client work recording, Joe runs Home Studio Corner. And how would I describe it? Home Studio Corner is a multimedia collection of informational resources for musicians who want to learn how to record and mix DIY. He does video tutorials, online training courses, he's written over 1,000 blog posts. In my own hunt years ago for uh, audio recording podcasts, I stumbled onto the Home Studio Corner podcast, Ask Joe, and have been listening ever since. Anyway, for the year of 2017, Joe has set out to record four new EPs of original material. He just released the third EP in that series called Fighter at the beginning of this month. I'm going to play a song from it now called Listen.
so your EP's coming out in like two days at this point? Yeah. I guess Friday the 1st. So I just finished it up um, day before yesterday. Wow. So you've been pretty busy with it this week, getting everything? Uh... Yeah. So I, I did. We recorded it in a two-day session back in July. But then instead of just mixing it, of course, I turned it into like a mixing course. So I had to shoot all those videos. And oh, that. yeah. Which was super fun. I've never done anything like that where I mix a whole EP. So they get to kind of see that whole process. So it was it was fun. But yeah, more work than I ever think about when I decide to do it. <laughs> I mean, just actually making the music is hard enough. And then you have to compile right. these tutorial videos around it. Yeah, I do it to myself. <laughs> So you, uh, this is part of a series of EPs. This is the third. Yeah. This year. Yeah. So at the beginning of the year, I, I decided I wanted to release four EPs, and so I kind of spaced out every three months. So this is the third one. First one was a full band. Second one was acoustic. This one's back to full band, and then no idea what the fourth one will be. But um, yeah, I just wanted to go through the process over and over because I feel like I get a lot better when I do the whole start to finish process. So I figured let's do it a bunch of times this year, see what happens. Hmm. So the idea of not doing a full album, but kind of chopping it up into uh, like four separate concepts, just doing it that way step by step is... Yeah, because we're, we're such a, it's such a single world we live in anyway. I'm not saying I won't ever do a full length album, but uh, th there's just, you can start and finish an EP in a short amount of time. Kind of, it, it feels like I can take more risks mm -hmm. and try try things versus a full album is just a big big endeavor, and I kind of like yeah. the idea of cranking the stuff out versus because I'm a, I'm gonna have somewhere around 17 to 20 songs by the end anyway, so I'll have more than an album anyway, but it doesn't feel as involved. Mm. I find like the big problem with an album is because it takes so long start to finish that by the time you're wrapping it up, you're in like a totally different place musically. And it's, you feel like the music doesn't really represent where you're at as much yeah. by that point, just because it's been such a like slow process. Yeah. And, and on the other side, this EP, like I, I wrote the songs the week of the recording session, which is about six weeks ago. So start from no songs to finish masters was a six week process could have been could have been all in a week if I just knocked it all out that next week. And that, to me, that momentum feels exciting. So I don't hate the songs yet. Yeah, so I'm excited yeah. to go. <laughs> so, you know, you finish a big album and you're like, please don't let me ever listen to these again. <laughs> Can't imagine being like a touring. Let's go play 200 dates of these songs after oh, we've yeah. made ourselves sick of them. Yeah. Keep it short and sweet. That's more of that kind of spontaneous feel. That's great. Well, um, I'm not sure if I've done it yet, but thank you so much for, for talking with me today. I'm glad to to finally have you on. I've been a fan of the podcast for a while. Tell me a little bit yeah. about your story. I know the, the podcast and you're out in the West, like mm -hmm. Seattle, right? Yep, Seattle. And yeah, the podcast was something I started earlier this year when um, I was looking for kind of something to do in the musical community around here. And it seemed like a great way to connect with both local musicians and then bands I knew from back home. And now I'm kind of uh, spreading out to uh, just people out there that I'm interested to... Uh, have the chance to talk with them and get to know their story like it's a it's a great catalyst for me to meet musicians that i want to uh to talk to absolutely when i started home studio corner i never i didn't i just expected it to be a place to like put up content and whatever i just didn't expect to meet so many people in the real world and like those other maybe just because i'm 
dumb. I don't know, but I just it, I was surprised by how many musicians and uh, good friends I've met through doing this. So yeah, it's that's super cool that you're doing that because everybody has a great idea for a podcast, mm-hmm. but so few actually do it. So it's it's super great. The uh, yeah, there's a lot of grunt work involved, but um, yeah, anything to kind of give back to the musical community on some level, and then because. Um, just being a musician and putting out your music is not enough to stand out by any means. It's it's just the beginning. Yeah, I feel like it's it's not like a Eeyore, like the world, the sky is falling, but it but it is like it's got to necessarily be different. Yeah, and I think it's cool. Like instead of just folding your arms and saying, "Dang it, I should be able to just play gigs," and that yeah. should be the end of it. And like, well, that might not be the case anymore, and that's not a bad thing. Like you'll connect with probably way more people having a podcast on top of being a musician versus just the places you could get into play. Yeah. It's, you got to be creative with uh, what you try. Yeah. I mean, well, so Joe, when did you kind of decide that you were going to make a living in the world of music? When did you really start to, uh, to focus on that seriously? You know, uh, it was probably around like high school. I decided I was going to be a rock star. Didn't know what that meant, but then got into recording just, ever so slightly like really bad recording equipment and ended up going to school for recording and then i really fell in love with that side of it and that was i guess i guess deciding to study it in college was probably a good step in that direction and then ended up selling gear at sweetwater for a few years before coming back and starting home studio corner and then doing more of my own music and some client work and all all the many different things that we do but um yeah it was always kind of once i kind of honed in on yeah i've got some I'm good at music and my whole family's like doctors and nurses and I was not that. So it just, it, it, I kind of just, I, you know, I was the kid who left, grew up in Mississippi, left town, went to Nashville and just kind of dove in. Hmm. So you but I never up, did like the traditional music. Yeah. That kind of the traditional model is not really applicable to a lot of people anymore, depending on uh, what they're trying to do. But so you grew up in Mississippi was the college you went to in Mississippi, or was that already in, in Nashville? Just outside of Nashville, um, Tennessee State. You said Tennessee State? So they've got a pretty sweet audio studio program there. Oh, Middle okay. Tennessee, yeah. So, and that was kind of your introduction to that area of the country. And the I guess maybe that's not right where the music scene is, but you kind of uh, caught a whiff of what is going on in Nashville during your time there. Yeah, it's close enough, close enough to where you get, you get a little of it just by being there. Nice. And um, I mean, growing up, what got you into music, do you think? Like, did you have certain uh, musical idols that really inspired you early on? Or You know, I was a big fan of, there's a Christian artist named Stephen Curtis Chapman. And he, like my dad had an album of his and it was all this acoustic guitar stuff and I loved it. And that really got me into kind of songwriting and really listening and somewhat listening to production and what kind of goes into making a good album. Um, and that was actually, I was reading a book about him and he studied music business at some school. And that was the first time I'd ever even heard those words put together. I thought, well, that sounds interesting. And that's really what led me on the path to going and finding a school that had something to do with music or audio other than like traditional music degree, um, finding a place that did music business. Yeah. It's kind of, uh, just as an academic field, it seems to have, it's a more like tangible thing to study now. It's kind of all over now, which is just cool. So you went to uh, you went to Tennessee State. You studied music business, and what were your main takeaways by the time you finished your studies there? It was so they had like a music business track and then a production track. So I 
quickly decided I'm, I want to be in the studio. So I did yeah. more of the production track. I knew Jack going into it. I, I had done a little recording. I'd made a little album in high school, but it was the kind of thing like my parents' computer had that little stick mic. And I had a free copy of, of some sort of eight track software. Mm-hmm. And that was it. So I, I, I didn't even know what a preamp was, what, you know, condenser mics, phantom power, all of that. I, I knew nothing. Yeah. So it was a really good experience in that sense that I was just immersed in all this stuff I didn't know. Downside, of course, is I wish I knew a lot going into it. So when I'm sitting there in a studio with a rack full of, you know, great tube tech and uh, distressors and old school gear that I just didn't know enough to know that that was cool. Yeah, and, I and appreciate it. You know, I was too busy trying to just make sure I had audio. Yeah, I, I was. It was hard enough just to make sure I could hear, like I had the audio read properly, so I could just hear what we were recording. Much less trying to run it through this cool EQ and compressor and stuff. So, it was great, but I feel like I missed a lot not being able to play with the toys because I didn't know what the toys did. Mm-hmm. But you realized you had a, a passion for recording in particular and mixing and taking a, a performance and really kind of honoring it in the recording process. Just that aspect of, of music yeah i didn't it, it wasn't something i expected i just assumed recording was a very technical you're kind of a nerd you just set up mics and you just make it technically accurate and i didn't realize how much of an impact the recording process has on the final performance and the final outcome and how much creativity goes into it so i quickly felt i still love making my own music but i also love just being on the other side of the glass and kind of facilitating other people and helping them get great music and great sounds, uh, even if I'm not playing on the project. Yeah, it's definitely something that's far more of a... It takes creativity rather than just like technical ability. It requires a lot more creativity than people might be aware of. Yeah, definitely definitely a whole art form in itself. So you, uh, you found this passion that you had recording, and then, um, like you said, you were a salesman for Sweetwater for a while, and then how did you... Uh, get to the point where you could establish your own um, recording studio business? Yeah. So it's my story is probably, I would guess, will end up being more typical than it seems. But mm-hmm. I didn't do anything like the way you expect. Like I thought I'm going to be a rock star and touring musician and that's how I'm going to make my living. Right, right. And that has never, never been the case. And I've also never been just a full-time engineer right, just right. working in the studio doing sessions either. So for me, yeah, selling at Sweetwater was great. Um learned how to sell, which is a valuable skill. And then that was where I started this website called Home Sweet Corner, really just as kind of an outlet, creative outlet to create some videos, answer questions that customers had. And that kind of over the years morphed into uh, realizing, okay, I'm, I'm kind of good at this as well. And there are enough people that are interested in what I'm doing that would even be willing to pay me to help them mm-hmm do what I'm doing. So I'm, I'm here over here in a home studio making music, releasing music. And then there are people who want to be doing that, but don't feel like they're quite where they want to be. And that's kind of where my little website has kind of stepped in and helped people through courses and, and things like that, that teach them things like EQ stuff that I knew nothing about, right? When I started and I would have loved to have had courses like this to prepare me better for the stuff I was going to be doing. Um, so that's, that's kind of part of what I provide. And then on top of that, releasing my own music and using my music as kind of a platform to show others what you can accomplish in just a bedroom studio. Yeah. Um, but then also as a kind of the content to teach mixing and recording and all those things. So a lot of other um, 
mixing engineers that I've met and worked with, I mean, they'll always have their own musical project, but it also always seems like it's very difficult for them to make enough time to uh, keep writing their own songs and releasing them. They always seem to kind of get caught up in their clients' projects or whatever, and it's very difficult for them to manage their time like that. But uh, what are your, you seem to have been able to deal with that. How do you approach being able to continue that in addition to all the the other stuff you're working on? Well, for me, I, since since I've kind of not come about this in the traditional way, like it's all it's almost always been about me making my music and then kind of doing other things on top of that. So versus going out and spending you know 80, 90 hours a week making all these other people's music, that just never was a path I went down. I was more doing my own music and finding other ways to create value in the world than simply doing client work. So for me, client work for me is really just the occasional album and EP that I'll do for friends or some like remote mixing and things like that where they'll send me, you know, songs to mix or master. But the the bulk of my kind of creative focus is still on my own projects and the stuff that I'm doing. And so it's 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 not so much a conscious decision that I've had to force myself to do. It's just kind of always been kind of where I was. Uh, the, kind of the turning point for me, at least at one, at one stage, I had started doing a little more of the website thing. And as you can imagine, I know you, you've got a podcast, so you know you could spend days researching everything having oh, to yeah. do with setting up a podcast from the technical stuff, which software do you use? How do you upload it? How do you track all your stats? And then how do you get on the how do you what how do you play the the iTunes system so you get in the new and noteworthy and all mm-hmm. that stuff that I never knew and didn't do right but you can you can just you can study that stuff forever right there's an endless supply of information about that which for me was the kind of the case I was studying how to how to do websites and how to do blogging and how to do stuff on YouTube to the point where I wasn't making music and I was trying to make all these videos about making music but I wasn't making music and I realized oh. well that that doesn't go together. Yeah. yeah. I, I found myself opening up the same Pro Tools session at the time. And I, was, I've, I would sit there and think, I've done five videos from this same session because I'm just trying to make up stuff to talk about, which is just so much less engaging than, hey, I'm going to make some new music and why don't you join me and let's, let's do this together. So yeah. a lot of the success I've had even business-wise and then also musically is when I've kind of gotten back to make the music and then kind of make the other pieces fit around that versus the other way, which just doesn't seem to work that well. Mm. Yeah, that's a great way to, to go about it because you're still able to focus and spend time making your music, which is kind of the point in the first place, but then you can branch that experience out to something that uh, that other people get involved with. And it's, uh, yeah, it all kind of ties together your informational content. and your Yeah, and I think thinking about like the musician today who is just getting out of high school or college and is thinking about what how do i pursue music and what 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 is that going to look like i think i certainly would never go out and say you need to start a blog and teach people how to do what you're doing like i don't that's maybe that's one way but for me the bigger picture like of what i found is you've got you've got you've got music and you're going to create music and that's almost a given but then how are you going to create value around that? Whether that's, you know, the way that you do your live shows or you get into house shows or the way you release your albums or maybe it's even outside of performance and actual selling music and you find other, you know, creative ways that don't seem to make sense for what you're doing musically, but you find a way to tie them together to create value. I think that's I mean the whole point, the whole way we make a living in the world is we create something of value and that value turns into 
you know, money and income and the ability to keep doing the thing that we want to do. So I think kind of like you and I were talking uh, kind of before the call, the, the industry is different and it's not necessarily bad. It's probably better than it's ever been, but you kind of have, you can't stick to the old way of I'm going to be right. a musician and I'm going to do just this one or two things and that's going to be it. I think there's, you can still do it just a handful of things, but they're probably going to be different than going and playing every open mic night until a record producer from a major label discovers you and they throw, just start throwing money at you. That's probably not going to be your story, but that doesn't mean you still can't do what you want to do and forge your own path. Absolutely. I mean, it's, it's kind of up to the individual at this point. I mean, those major labels don't really have the money to, to throw on, uh, anything that's not a sure bet or like already established superstar anyway. So kind of barking up the wrong tree there. Yeah. I was talking to a friend yesterday who works for a small label here in Nashville and they're, you know, they're trying to figure out the new way the, you know, how to streaming, how do we kind of go all in on this, this whole music streaming thing that is obviously the way that people want to listen to music. And I think, you know, these bigger labels, they've, it's hard to turn a big ship and refocus but as an individual like you can you can change direction really fast so you've got that in your favor while these big companies are still trying to figure things out you can be building a fan base and connecting with your audience directly because there's no one saying you can't because you've got all the tools and the internet right there available to you it's pretty amazing totally so kind of on another note the latest ep fighter i know you said um out of the four eps you're doing this year one was acoustic and one was uh, band-oriented. This is like the second one that's band-oriented. Is there something else about it that you feel uh, stands out in your catalog? You tried anything uh, new in particular with this release? Yeah, it, it was... I think everybody will probably say their latest is their favorite, so it's, mm, yeah, take that with a grain of salt. <laughs> this is kind of my favorite thing I've done to this point. A um, couple reasons. One, uh, I didn't record it here at my home studio. It's really hard to to wear all the hats sometimes. So I actually booked a studio with a friend. And then, so I got to just be, for the most part, the musician. Mm. Um, I still had input, input on what mics we used and mic placement and stuff like that. But I wasn't pushing record. I wasn't running the rig. I was, hey, this needs a guitar part. Pick up my guitar and go play. Which is, you know, kind of where you want to be when you're making your own music. So that was a fun kind of venture. And I was able to be a little more creative. Um, had a good really good drummer and bass player play with me and we tracked a lot of it live the three of us playing along and then kind of added on a little bit we also a couple other things we recorded everything on the ep in a two-day window so the first day drums bass and some guitars and keys getting all that laid down second day any overdubs and vocals and then by the end of day two we were done mm -hmm. and i didn't do anything else after that recording wise so it was fun to back myself into that corner and say you know no, you have to decide about that now because you're not going to record this later. You're going to get it right today in this you know two-day period, which for, for, for a lot of people, you might hear that and think, oh, that's, that's too much pressure. But I mean, we're musicians. We kind of live for pressure, right? We, we want to play in front of a bunch of people, and then there's that pressure to play right Absolutely. and to get it right. And you don't get that pressure if you're in a... In, in, in especially in a studio world where, oh, we've got unlimited takes. We could work on this album for years if we want to. Just keep playing and you get it right. That's certainly great. It's nice to be able to have that flexibility, but at the same time, it kind of shoots you in the foot if you give yourself so many options and never back yourself into any corner. Suddenly, everything 
there's no musicianship almost. It's all become cold and sterile and calculated versus, hey, back me into a corner and make me play this part while everyone else is laying down their part. I got to get it right. And it's it's cool how that sometimes it blows up in your face. It doesn't work. But a lot of times it does work because we're musicians and we're kind of wired to perform. Yeah, no, that makes a lot of sense. Kind of goes back to that short and sweet approach. You just you're trying to capture these songs sort of in the moment or uh, over a short span of time without kind of drawing out the creative process for too long. You can find lots of videos of, of Jack White. You know, he's big on that. He'll go so far in that direction. And I, I don't know if it's the right approach for all types of music. But for me, when I'm, I'm really going after musicians, mostly playing kind of folk and rock music in a room, I think trying to get it down quicker tends to work out pretty well for me. Hmm. And um, how do you feel like your songwriting has evolved over time? Are you finding yourself exploring particular themes or styles now that you wouldn't really mess with before or yeah th- this last one especially I, I normally my kind of typical mode is pick up a guitar write a song maybe write it on the keyboard or piano and i realized that a lot of the songs come out a certain way right because mm-hmm. i'm i have a bent towards if i'm holding an acoustic guitar nine times out of ten a folk song is going to come out and you can when you get to the recording phase you can change that vibe somewhat right but it's still going to kind of initially come out like a folk song. And I don't know. And thinking about as a musician, what am I best at? And I'm a good guitar player, uh, but I think I'm probably a better singer than I am a guitar player. But I tend to lean more towards my guitar playing when I'm writing Mm. and then kind of fit my vocal around it. So I decided to flip that around and think, what would it look like to write songs where my guitar is kind of an afterthought and mostly it's centered around my vocal and I I didn't plan it this way necessarily, but I sat down with my recording software, which I never do. I usually just write on paper or something and sat down and literally the first thing I recorded was like beatboxing, like literally recording like me going and then turning that into a kick loop Mm. and then some like hi-hat sounds and some claps and some finger snaps and things like that. All of this stuff. And then I would record these big background vocal pads where I'm singing ah and these different chord progressions and then I would start writing the song and so there wouldn't be a guitar even in sight for a little bit of the process Mm. so it was all based on my voice if I did that every project it would get old but for this little four song EP it was really interesting to start there and I feel like the melodies were stronger because I wasn't so tied to what I was doing on the guitar and um, and then I was still able to come up with cool guitar parts after the fact but they served the vocal, which served the song a little bit better, I think. Hmm. Either way, it was fun to switch up the process and try something new. Yeah, I I got the feeling when I heard the songs that, I mean, they almost sounded like they were composed with like a whole band in mind already. They didn't sound like something that was composed just on one instrument and then kind of like made to fit a different arrangement later. Um, yeah, that, that does sound like it. I, I, I was thinking about... If I had a looper pedal, how would I write a song for some reason? And that was kind of how it started. But yeah, it kind of created this this thing that the band connected with pretty quickly, which is fun. And you're uh, like you were saying about putting those uh, vocal parts early on. There's some really great vocal harmonies going on in, in parts of these songs. Feels like a lot of space was carved out for that, and it came out pretty cool. Because those those vocal harmonies were like what I wrote the song to. So when we went into the studio, 
that's what we played along to was the little mm. beatbox sounds and the vocal harmonies and the little scratch vocal that I recorded. And so then we played to that. So they were literally the foundational like scratch tracks for the whole project, which, you know, is going to kind of inform how you play uh, versus for me, background vocals are always the very last thing you do. Right. Yeah, what does yeah. this need? Well, let's throw some oohs and ahs in there and just hide them in the background. Squeeze it in. So this was end, completely yeah. backwards. Yeah, they came first, which is just weird, but it uh, worked out pretty well. Excellent. You still have no idea what you're doing for your next release? You just It has to be out by the end of the year? <laughs> yeah, it's going to release on, on December 1st, so I kind of have spaced them out three months. I think what I'm probably going to do is, my current idea is to make it a collaboration, so four or five songs, each one written with somebody else and performed with them. I don't know how that will look, but I, I'm, I'm, I'm probably not not unlike a lot of musicians i tend to do a lot of it myself by myself in my studio in isolation and you know life tends to work a little bit better with other people mm. so um i think i I've, I've oftentimes done the creative process and then brought people in for the recording be interesting to see how bring people in for the writing process uh, what kind of impact yeah. that has yeah because i'm in nashville which is you know land of songwriters and nobody in the songwriting world writes by themselves. They're always co-writing with somebody. Now, a lot of that's political and trying to, you know, Cash get in into different. Yeah. You know, if you've got two publishing companies pitching a song, you got twice as many chances of it getting cut and all that. But I think there is obviously still a lot of a lot of benefit to kind of putting two heads together on a creative thing. Yeah. Collaborations can always end up being very surprising, like what the other person draws out of you. That would just never happen if you were by yourself in a room or whatever. Yeah, kind of like why we like playing music with other musicians. It's just it turns into something much better than what any one person could do on their own. Yeah, totally. So I guess to kind of start wrapping up, um, obviously you've helped countless amounts of musicians by now, helping them with recording, songwriting, all that stuff. Um, in all your years doing what you've done so far, like what are some of the most important things you've learned as a musician or the best takeaways you've had as a songwriter? Mm, I think biggest thing as, as a musician and also just an audio engineer producer, it's so easy to get caught up in the tools and the toys and forget that they really just exist to serve the song and the performance. And I think, you know, you can find, you can get obsessed about, you know, I'll get on these kicks where I'm super obsessive about pedals on my electric guitar pedal board. And while they're important and it's important to find the ones that you connect with and can make cool sounds with, what really matters is what I'm playing and how good I am on guitar and that I'm playing the right parts for the, that fit the song and that I am going for the right tones. How I, what I use to get those tones is way less important. And I think a lot of people, especially if you're maybe starting out, you kind of have this idea of, I'll just record anything and then I can get all these cool software to fix it and make mm -hmm. it better. And while that's true on some level, you know, there's, there are things like auto tune that will take an off pitch note and put it in tune. It doesn't mean it makes it a good performance or makes it sound like you have good vocal tone. And so if, if you can focus 90% of your attention on the performance and the song and the recording itself, then all the other stuff, the stuff that people really love to obsess about, the mixing and the, the, the plug-ins and all this other after the stuff you do after the fact, becomes less and less important. And the end result becomes so much better because you're not having to figure out a way to 
fix this bad thing. You're taking an already good thing, enhance it a little bit with some software, and then it becomes just more amazing. Hmm. So this is something that you also feel like for yourself, you've learned more and more over time and have gotten better at not getting distracted by the the gadgets. Yeah, absolutely. I think early on when my first few albums, I would, you know, rush through the recording process just to get to the good part, which for me was mixing where I can throw all these cool new, you know, fancy vintage EQ things on there. Mm. And those don't help if you jacked up the recording to begin with. And that was kind of the case for me. So pulling back and focusing on if I don't, if I couldn't even touch this with any anything else. I just had to record it and that was it. Um, how would I want it to sound? And it's hard to do that. You know, like it's, it's hard to, to say, no, this isn't good enough. Let's do it again. Um, but it's completely worth it. If you spend twice as much time on recording as you normally do, I think you'll find you'll spend way less time on all the other steps of the process. Mm. All right. Yeah. I, um, I'm starting to uh, be less of a uh, reverb and echo addict and start to <laughs> try to let different parts stand out on their own. Um, I find like uh, just having a very clear vision for the song and how you want it to end up sounding and try to trying to honor that vision as early on as you can. I feel like that's all kind of underrated. Just yeah. And I, I have a lot of respect for people who can really see what a song should be and have that vision with a lot of specific specificity to it. I, I tend to have I just I hear a song and I think, OK, I think it's going in this direction and I'll have a few ideas and then the rest I just don't know. Um, so it ends up being a lot of trial and error with other musicians. No, that's not the drum part. Try this. Um, but, yeah, if you have the gift to hear what it should be from the beginning, man, that's that's killer. Run with it. It's priceless. All right. Well, thanks so much for uh, carving out time for this today. It, I'm just, you know, I've listen to your podcast on and off for like so many years and it's weird to uh be interacting with that voice that was in my <laughs> headphones for that long <laughs> but, yeah it was a thrill it's so fun like i'll meet somebody and they'll say oh you, that's what you sound like i'm like well of course it's what i sound like it's just me that's funny well yeah and i appreciate uh the focus on the music i feel like i talk so much about stupid audio and microphones it's nice to talk about the actual music for a change so Thank you for indulging me a little yeah, bit. Of course. Yeah, I figured we were going to end up kind of touching on like the nature of your career for a little bit because it is pretty interesting. But yeah, I did want to get like some of the uh, the creative kind of song talk in there too, for sure. The new release really sounds fantastic and I look forward to hearing what you uh, put out by the end of the year. I hope that ends up working out. <laughs> me too. Yeah. All right. And I will uh, keep listening to the Ask Joes. Cool, man. Appreciate it. All right, wasn't that fun? Joe is a great dude. The music community needs more like him. If you liked this episode of Talking About the Passion, please subscribe to my podcast on iTunes. I always love to see new ratings and reviews too, even if they're bad. Sign up for the Niagara Moon mailing list for weekly updates on the podcast and for my musical project, Niagara Moon. Plus, you'll get access to the uh, private live stream. I'll play songs for you. Anyway, to sign up for that, go to niagaramoonmusic.com, scroll down, and enter in your email address. Find the podcast on Facebook at Talking About the Passion. I'm also on Twitter at TATP Podcast, and on Instagram at Niagara Moon Music. 
you want to write to me, you can email tatppodcast at gmail. The theme song for talking about the passion is the Niagara Moon song Pantheon Bar off my recent album Eating Peaches. All right, coming up now, we have another Joe Gilder song from the Fighter EP. This is called Running Around. Thank you very much for listening, and I'll see you next Wednesday. What would it take?